just finishing lunch, start with meditation, there'll be some broken necks in, not just the audience, the <laughs> monastics. Um, if I sit up and drone on again, there'll probably be people falling asleep as well. So just to open it up for questions and answers. Anybody have anything that uh, came up during the... Yeah? Did you offer Mendocino here? Not this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Did you offer? Hmm? Oh, I mean, did you come here by car or by walk? Yeah, we came, we, uh, we, uh, came by, by car. Right, right. No, that uh, there was one one time when that was actually uh, uh, the time that I that I did try that. It was to come to a, a teaching event, and I was going to walk, uh, but I didn't make it. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Um, when you spoke this morning. <laughs> yeah. When you spoke this morning, you mentioned um, a word I'd not heard before, and it was describing a layperson that accompanied um, the monk on Tudong. Oh, okay. what What is their function exactly? Are they a helpmate, a companion, a mm-hmm. gopher? Yeah, yeah all, of the, all of those <laughs> things, yeah. Uh, Anagarka is uh, the uh, formal word for a postulant in training, and uh, at uh, Bayagiri... Uh, there, like today, we don't have uh, one along, but oftentimes, if you see us come uh, down from Bayagiri, there might be somebody dressed in white, and uh, that's a lay person who is uh, uh, taking precepts and training uh, under the uh, uh, eight renunciant precepts, and uh, they, uh, um, they're uh, because they have uh, fewer precepts, and they're, they'll say like, still be driving, um, still have uh, use of money, um, and uh, um, do, thing, do things like cooking, uh, so that uh, uh, so that they're yeah they're equipped to help out uh, in in many different ways, and but it's also a period of. Um, of say yeah, t- testing the testing the waters of of monastic life and seeing, okay, is this something I would like to do? Is this something uh, that uh, that seems to to fit? Uh, and uh, and then it's a it's an opportunity to be a part of the community uh, and to help out in a variety of ways, and then also to uh, practice. Um, so that, uh, say, there's actually the, the Scott here does uh, Anagarka for one year, and uh, and then has come and and uh, decided, well, that was that was good, but it was maybe explore another another way. And he's here at Spirit Rock uh, working. There's also another Sean who's uh, who's. Uh, uh, working here at Spirit Rock with uh, Anagarka for a year at Abayagiri also. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to sort of get a feel for monastic life uh, and, uh, and then to uh, uh, yeah, see. And then if one wants to go forward, say like, uh, 
the la the the novice at the end there uh, as uh, was Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday was prior that he was all white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that uh, uh, he decided to use uh, Anagarika for a year and decided to go forward and so that uh, and uh, and at Abhayagiri then as Ajahn Chah also would train and it would be novices for another year uh, and uh, um, continue to sort of say, okay, is it fit? Does it feel comfortable? And then uh, the novices have fewer precepts uh, but are you know, sort of a bit more integrated into the, uh, get a feel for the for the lifestyle. Uh, because in, uh, say, in say like Thailand and uh, uh, Burma, you, the, uh, it's fairly common to just almost walk in off the street and take ordination. Um, uh, Ajahn Chah didn't uh, do it that way. Um, he felt that uh, he wanted to focus on, on the training and, and uh, uh, and people, of course, people used to complain. Uh, you know, wow, why do we have to wait so long to to, or, to ordain as monks? And, and Ajahn Chah said, "Oh, people who ordain quickly, they disrobe quickly." <laughs> so it's just this, uh, it's just having that time to sort of see, yeah, do we really want to do it? The uh, um, We've just started a, a hermitage up in the Portland, Oregon area. And uh, uh, say at Abayagiri, you know, we're, it's a, a bigger community. There's, uh, we have lay people there, we have Anagarikas, we have novices, we have monks. And uh, in setting up this new hermitage, um, the the, head, the, the senior monk who was going up there uh, wanted to experiment again, sort of as uh, part of the kind of the Tudong tradition of taking that ethos and say, it'd be really nice to just to see can we live there as monks without all the, the support? And you know, in the sense of no resident lay people, no anagarikas, no novices, and which means that uh, the monks are. They're there, they walk into town or around wherever they are and go for alms and, uh, and then uh, see if they get anything. And there's no, there's no way to store food, there's nobody to offer it to them, and, uh, and then just see how it works and, uh, as an experiment. And they went to a place... Um, there's a, a group in, in Portland that has been affiliated with us for many years and they've always wanted to establish a kind of a branch monastery and so it's, it's finally come to fruition and, but then when we found an actual physical place for them uh, for the monks to, to stay then uh, the uh, 
kind of say the predominant factor for decision making was where's the cheapest rent mm-hmm. <laughs> was was that uh, it wasn't uh, you know something just what's going to come up that we can, that that the group can afford so that uh, they ended up in the uh, sort of Hood River Gorge area and uh, so that they went there they knew nobody in the community and uh, and they just started going alms around uh, which impressed the local community very quickly because where the hermitage is uh, it's probably a few miles away from maybe maybe probably four miles away from the from the town, uh, but the elevation difference is over 2,200 feet. So they walk down and they hike back up again. And uh, so it's a, uh, but the local community has been quite, quite wonderful. There's a real, real uh, uh, interest and uh, it's, uh, it's working. And, uh, and then people, of course, people go there and they, they uh, go and offer a meal, and because oftentimes they, they uh, 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 you know, they go on different routes uh, around, and you know, oftentimes they don't get anything for alms round. But then, the different people have sort of set, set um, sort of made a commitment to go on a particular day, and uh, so it, it all it all works. So it's quite quite inspiring, actually. I was um, recently reviewing the, the Dhammapada and came to one passage that really um, caught my attention. And let me read that first, two passages. Um, Life is apparently easy for one who lacks shame and is as impudent as a crow, who is arrogant, aggressive, invasive, and corrupt. Life is not easy for those who have a sense of shame who are modest, pure-minded, and detached, morally upright, and reflective. And this morning when you were talking about living on faith, mm-hmm. the other side of that I was thinking about how you, basically you're increase, increasing the potential anxiety level. <laughs> <laughs> so I come into Buddhism thinking, oh, this will calm me, this will settle yeah. my life, and then I realize there's being open, being aware, being sensitive to the world, keeps bringing me new challenges that previously were uninvited. I was wondering if you wanted to talk on that at all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you get more than what you bargained for, eh? <laughs> but that's the, the uh, of course, the, the, you know, in the Dhammapada verse, uh, you know, it's pointing out from a, a worldly perspective in the sense of, yeah, it's uh, it's not easy when you adhere to to virtues and high standards of of uh, uh, because it goes against the stream of one's own habits and the, the tendencies of the of the world. But the reality is, of course, that that's where our place of well-being and um, harmony actually does come from. Um, it's just Leaping up over the the, uh, uh, the the kind of the the, the bar of our, our uh, of our habits, uh, so that 
you know, as we uh, uh, practice and, and use those circumstances for, uh, for reflection and, and for investigation, uh, then we start to, to gain a, a sense of confidence. Uh, and really, that's what faith is. Because uh, sometimes the, uh, you know, the word that we, uh, it's normally translated as faith, um, sadha, but it's, you know, it's not such a, a good translation because the uh, faith has so many connotations in, uh, from a Judeo-Christian background in English. And uh, that uh, the quality of confidence um, and uh, uh, it's like a, a kind of a serene certainty that arises. And that can only arise from experience. Um, so that as we um, take these different circumstances uh, in our life and we investigate and practice with them and you know, overcome various hurdles, uh, you start to gain the confidence that, right, that's, that's how, say, when we live together as human beings and we establish a, a very clear quality of virtue and, and uh, integrity, uh, we live together in, in harmony and trust. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, and sometimes it would be easier to take a shortcut and not have to bother with those, those precept stuff. But you, re- <laughs> you realize, oh, wow, it's, 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 it's those sort of things that are the protection. Uh, and those are the, what, the things that remind us that, no, it's, it's, that, it's, it's that integrity, integrity that allows us to have a sense of, establish a sense of trust and connection with people that we live with and the society that we live with or with family. Uh, and, uh, and then internally, uh, the result is one of, of happiness and well-being. One of the uh, things that the, that the Buddha pointed to as a, just a direct result of, say, of a virtue uh, is, is non-remorse. You just not, don't have to feel bad about it. And, uh, but then he goes through causal connections of how non-remorse uh, takes you to a place of well-being, to a place of joy, to tranquility, to happiness. Then a concentration. Uh, like the concentration arises from the well-being that you've established in the heart. The mind isn't wavering because it's second-guessing itself or has remorse or is caught in confusion of uh, things that are, you know, been cutting, you know, kind of cutting corners. Uh, so that, that uh, uh, it, it directly leads to a stability of mind. Um, so the same with, you know, many... Uh, other obstacles that we that we we encounter, where being in a situation where uh, you know everything sort of uh, sort of all the cells in one's body is is sort of saying, take it easy, have a rest, you know, be comfortable, <laughs> and then just oh, just putting that extra effort in at that time. You see, you, we get up over that hurdle uh, and, uh, and then, you know, what, what arises is a, a, uh, 
uh, you see a kind of a brightness of mind that comes from an internal source of being able to apply ourselves to things. So it's a training of the mind that, uh, that gives us the, the tools to experience a brightness, even when sometimes you could be tired or uh, you know, kind of fed up or bored with, with something. And, but then you realize, oh, I can, I, can, I, can, I can put that extra bit of effort in. I've done it before, I can do it. And then, and then you get over that hurdle, and then you realize, oh, there's a, the mind becomes bright after that. So it says, in meditation, that's a, 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 a real uh, boon, uh, uh, where, we, we're, where the mind is really able to, to uh, become, become still and bright, uh, not because we've got everything just how we want it, but because we've been willing to just stick with it. Uh, so those are the, 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 you know, these qualities that, that we, uh, you know, we have to go against the grain a bit, but uh, we learn. Um, we also have to learn how to apply wisdom, because if you're always fighting to see, you, if you can constantly go against the grain, um, then, or, or you're feeling guilty because you're not, going against the grain enough, uh, you won't be happy either. So there's a balance, there's the discernment that needs to be applied and saying, well, when's the appropriate time to, to be able to just uh, uh, relax when, the, when one's coming up against an obstacle and when's the time to, to push? And, and you can only do that from experience. And, and that's, that's the, uh, say, the the heart of the practice is being willing to, to, to investigate and, and really uh, become skilled in that, that quality of discernment. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to just thank you so much for being here. It's been such an awesome day so far. And um, my question is whether that can sometimes, the other side might be that the mind becomes punitive or punishing toward, you know, like, or that the mm-hmm. practices can be used that way. Yep, absolutely. We're, uh, uh, having a human mind, uh, it's amazing how perverse it can be sometimes. <laughs> Which is, you sort of say, ah, you know, you, you don't need to, you know, beat yourself up over things. And, but we do it. We don't need to push all the time, you know, but we do it. And we feel, and then we, you know, that sort of, and one of the, uh, I think particularly as uh, Westerners, Americans in particular, uh, very strong uh, uh, kind of uh, ethic of, of, uh, of, of, of guilt. Yeah. And being, you know, feeling, being tortured by being, you know, guilty, guilty, being feeling guilty about this kind of quality of guilt. Um, there's, oh, I remember one time uh, traveling as a, uh, a translator for a senior uh, Thai monk who. Uh, 
uh, I was his attendant and translator, and and uh, there was a uh, evening chanting, meditation, dhamma talk, questions and answers after, and uh, one of the questions was, you know, how do you deal with guilt in practice? And uh, so then I went to translate the question, and I burst out laughing because I didn't actually know the word for guilt in Thai. Uh, and then I, what I had to do was explain to the, the, the Thai monk what a Westerner does to make themselves feel guilty. <laughs> Which just in itself was a, you know, sort of an exercise of in, in absurdity. And, and, then, and then he listened, uh, was listening to, to me explain, and he's got the, this very concerned look on his face. He said, oh, just tell them not to do that. That's, su- <laughs> that's suffering. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> so that you know, being able to 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 act, you know really sort of oh yeah we actually don't have to do that and to be able to be clear because we do you know there's different ways that we torture ourselves and uh, uh, to be and that's part of the, the the practice again of just being able to see habit habits and conditioning. Uh, and as we see those tendencies more clearly, then we can be developing strategies for for uh, ameliorating or overcoming or just being clear enough to say, oh, being able to really sort of see it clearly, even if it's you know, still rattling along, just, oh, that's, that's that tendency. That's that habit. Okay, just... Because you don't want to get in there and fight and struggle and, and with it because it's uh, he said it because uh, uh, you know, just that 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 taking exception to it and and trying to annihilate it feeds it in in its own way I can remember Ajahn Chah talking about uh, uh, dealing with uh, old habits and, un, and, and unskillful tendencies of, our, of defilements and uh, attachment. And he said, you know, he said, it's all you need to do is create a cage of mindfulness around it. And he said, that's all you need to do. And he said, it's just like if you've got a tiger. All you need to do is put it just put a strong cage around it, and you know the tiger is going to—it's going to be upset. It's going to be angry. It's going to roar. It's going to growl. It's going to beat at the bars of the of the of the cage. And all you have to do is make sure you don't open the door, <laughs> and don't go in there. <laughs> that's, that's all you need to do. And he said, and you know, and the and that tiger will it'll roar and it'll growl, and but then I get tired and it'll lie down, and I'll get tired and sort of come up again. And it'll roar and growl, and, and but it'll get, start getting softer. He said, you know, over time, if you just 
keep that, that keep the cage closed and keep an eye on it. And so, you know, pretty soon it'll just every once in a while, meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that, just having that cage of mindfulness is 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 our our. When you know, we say again, we don't have to we don't have to ride in on our the the you know the our white horse and. And sort of duel with it. We just, uh, just, oh, that's what that is. All right, okay. I just, I have to be cautious because you have to be careful as well. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Should we keep bring the tiger down and just still keep it inside, or should we just let it go? Well, I mean, letting it go. If you have you ever seen a tiger, <laughs> I would, I'd be careful. <laughs> there. Uh, yeah. So that 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 when you recognize it, yeah. When when yeah, greed uh, or aversion. Confusion, yeah, it has real consequences, uh, and we have to we have to be careful. We have to find strategies where, yeah, that that we're not being bitten by it, uh, because it tends to be indiscriminate. Uh, <laughs> so that uh, that that sense of uh, there's a healthy recognition of yeah, this is this is we're not fooling around here. Uh, that our own Unskillful habits are, are they have, yeah. There's they have consequences, so one has to be has to be very skillful and and uh, uh, yeah and and if there is a uh, you know a channeling of that, then it has to be it has to be really uh, understood. It has to be it has to be well well understood and well well considered. Yes. Um, okay. uh, sorry to keep staying with the tiger theme, but yeah. what about the case where one feels like one is the tiger and is trapped <laughs> in a metaphorical cage? Uh, what would be your advice to escape that cage? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, again, continuing with the metaphor, you know, the, the, uh, that sense of because sometimes, and, and probably beginning with the uh, the original question of how we, because a lot of it is how percep- how we perceive ourselves, uh, and the suffering that we create with the, the, those perceptions, uh, and that that the yeah the the mind our, our own mind can be our our own worst enemy, and that we we see ourselves in in ways that that is. Uh, uh, can be negative and can be be uh, uh, yeah create a lot of discomfort for ourselves. So that to be able to uh, you know in terms of of uh, 
like just sort of seeing and perceiving ourselves as a friend yeah. and and can we would we say or think things about ourselves that we, we would think about a friend a good friend uh, so that we can learn to be good friends to ourselves uh, because there's so 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 often we'll you know somebody can could say or do something and you know you, know, you realize well it's that person that's kind of how they're like and if we did something similar to that, we, you know, we'd beat ourselves up over it. And uh, you know, to be able to, uh, yeah, to to switch that perception and be a, a good friend to yourself and look 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 on oneself as a as a friend. Okay. Yes. Staying with the theme of the cage and the tiger for a minute. Yeah, yeah. That's always got, got people's attention. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly did. So um, if sati or mindfulness is the cage, I'm wondering what the appropriate use of shamatha is. Because there are times um, mm-hmm. I find in my practice where there's so much concentration that the defilements don't appear, mm-hmm. or they're very, mm-hmm. very subtle. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to back off. Mm-hmm. Then it's a little bit uneven at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Well, I think uh, again, sort of the you know where the 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 mindfulness is is watching the tiger in the cage, and yeah, and the tiger does get tired, and then he gets up and he's he's refreshed. (laughs) 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 So that the uh, uh, but being able to to uh, uh, like using the uh, the mindfulness as the as the as the kind of the, the sphere of, of of kind of protection, and then the the the, the samatha, the, the tranquility, uh, is uh, allowing things to settle. But then the there's that ongoing investigation uh, over time of what the effect is, because um, yeah, the the uh, um, is that tranquility through through meditation. Uh, is oftentimes a yeah, covering over of the of the a smoothing over of the defilements or the habits, uh, and then you know they they they, they manifest uh, uh, quite happy actually, <laughs> uh, but refreshed. Yeah. And and that's the the function of the the, the investigation. You you, al- you you always want to be applying discernment and investigation, so that one's uh, looking in terms of yeah conditioning, habits, uh, tendencies, not just personal habits, but the habits of what uh, the, the habit of delusion, the habit of attachment, the habit of aversion. Uh, and it's not a personal thing, which we tend to, of course, take it very personally. Uh, and, uh, but to sort of say, oh yeah, it's, that's, what, that's what the mind of irritation does. That's its habit. So that learning it more clearly, investigating it, and then using that, that clarity of, of uh, discernment to, to be able to see, well, what actually What's a skillful means of relinquishment? What's a skillful means of penetration? Seeing, oh, that's its result, and then seeing the the uh, yeah, just seeing the drawback 
uh, really clearly, you know, the drawback of that particular uh, you know, tendency of the of the, the mind of defilement. That's its drawback. That's its painful consequence. And the more clearly one sees that, the more one inclines to relinquishment. And one needs the the, the tranquility to to see that. Um, but then again, yeah, the the the, the uh, there needs to be the balance of, of the tranquility and the uh, the willingness to investigate. Okay, yeah. John. When I found out you were speaking, I asked Nai what Tudong meant, ah, and right. she explained it. Nai is my wife. And I said, "Oh, maybe he'll talk about the story of the tiger," because oh, <laughs> right, 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 right. I know you have a personal experience, I believe, yes, you yes. shared uh, with uh, another group, and I was wondering if you could mind touching on that and, and how you um, dealt with that situation. Oh, okay, sure, sure. Actually, the, this past summer, at the, here at Spirit Rock, I, uh, I, I shared that story with the te- teens, and uh, they, uh, they really liked it. They ended up, the last night of the family retreat, the, the teens did this sort of skit with the, me and the tiger. <laughs> it was fun, I was cracking up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, one time I was uh, on Tudor, and just as a, uh, uh, I had uh, completed my, my time of, of uh, uh, living in dependence on the teacher, and I was living on my own, and uh, I I wandered as a Tudong monk and uh, for uh, many many months until it got to be rainy season, and when I uh, entered the rains, uh, it was in a uh, uh, um, along the border of Burma, uh, in a uh, uh, a remote wilderness area. Uh, really uh, uh, very pristine and uh, it was a small uh, a small tin mine and then I was they uh, they built a, a little dwelling place for me out in the uh, uh, far enough away from the uh, the the village to uh, for it to be very quiet and then I would wander in for alms uh, so I was Living out there on my own, uh, and I had a just a hut, a very nice walking meditation path uh, that I was uh, using regular regularly, and it's a nice stream flowing beside me, and kind of this lovely jungle, tropical, tropical rainforest jungle, and uh, but then one night I'm doing my walking meditation, it's dark, and, and uh, it rose up into quite steep hills uh, on, on either side of the stream, and uh, very thick vegetation. And I, I heard a noise that, uh, uh, and got, and got a sort of, a, there was a noise and a smell about the same time, and before my kind of rational mind 
could f sort of figure out what was happening, my whole body had already got just fear all the way through it. And it, the tiger has a distinct smell, distinct, distinct odor, very kind of musky smell. And then uh, I could hear, then I could hear, so it's a tiger. Uh, and it was sort of walking just sort of above and around where I was meditating. And then it sort of tracked around and it was just sort of there. How far away from you? Fifteen feet, twenty feet, hard to tell. Yeah, twenty feet, you know, something, you know, not, not far. <laughs> not, not far enough. <laughs> and uh, so I was doing my walking meditation and uh, then, uh, and, and then my um, my hut was um, it was pretty flimsy. So that you know, I, I, you flash into my mind. Oh, I, I better get to my hut. I said, Well, what good is that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then, and then, uh, what came to mind was. Uh, and it was quite lovely, uh, was this memory of one of the discourses uh, of the Buddha in the Majjhima Nikaya, where the, where the Buddha talks about when, before he was, was enlightened, where he used to go to places of, of uh, uh, forest uh, areas, wilderness areas, and, and then he would experience, he'd hear a sound or he'd, there would be an animal and it would provoke fear. And then the Buddha said, you know, what he would do would to just stay in that posture uh, and to continue in that posture until the fear had gone. Uh, and uh, so then I said, okay, well, I'll just have to do that. And because, and then, it, you know, you're sort of sticking with that and just staying, just doing, walking back and forth and just really trying to, Calm the mind because it's uh, there's something primal about the kind of fear uh, of uh, a, um, a predator uh, like a tiger. And I'd been out in that area long enough uh, to uh, to to know uh, what uh, uh, what tigers could do. So I went through the options pretty quickly of what I could do if a tiger actually attacked. Uh, and it very quickly, well, you just die. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean, they take. They'll. They. They actually have. They'll actually attack elephants. They can do it, uh, and they're 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 they're, they're extraordinary uh, predators. They're, they're really, yeah, top of the top of the uh, top of the food chain. And humans in that situation are not very far along the chain. <laughs> so that, but that—that's uh, uh, what I, I use. And so that fear coming up very, very strongly, and just re walking back and forth until the, you know, just really calming the body and the mind, and then, and then going and uh, after walking for I'm not sure for how long. An hour or two hours, and hard to say how long. 
then I went and sat meditation. And as soon as I sat meditation, just the fear comes up again. And, and Were the tiger still there? Well, it's hard to say. I could, I could hear it and smell it for a while, but then, then it went off. Uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't hear it go, but I couldn't smell it, I couldn't hear it. So I assumed it had gone, uh, but that isn't what my, uh, sort of rationally, it had gone. Uh, emotionally, it was definitely present. <laughs> so that going in, uh, and then sitting, and then, okay, remembering that d- discourse of the Buddhas, and just sort of, okay, okay, sitting until it calming that, that fear, and, and letting that, 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 letting it come up, and just working with it, and letting it wash through. And, uh, you know, that was, that was really, uh, uh, that was really fruitful, because that, that, you realize how, how you know, what, a, what a hold fear has on the mind. And, uh, but as strong as it can be, uh, it's also impermanent. And, and, and it's easy to forget when it's right in your face. Um, but just by being willing to just continue walking, continue sitting, continue investigating, establishing mindfulness, then you start to realize, oh, okay, that, that also, that too is impermanent. And it's such a, um, I mean, it's almost trite to sort of say that, oh, it's just impermanent. Uh, but the reality is, is you know, when we see that, that uncertainty, that, 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 that impermanent nature, the changing nature of, of the, the feelings, moods, impressions, uh, thoughts in the mind, uh, we come to a place of refuge, and that's the mindfulness and the clarity that, that, that can be established when it's, when it's seen for what it is. Yeah. Is there a distinction between the awareness and the naming uh, in terms of uh, when you're naming something, does it bring some uh, intellect or self into play that uh, a kind of just being aware of it without naming it is a different different uh, part of consciousness? That would be one question. Mm-hmm. And the other may be related. And that is, speaking of confusion, it's easy to know what uh, wanting something or not wanting something is in a psychological way, but to know what confusion is, is this the sense of this nagging sense of uh, self or self-consciousness? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I'll try to address that. The, uh, um, that naming of things uh, is a... Uh, you have to experiment with it because sometimes... It, it, it can work both ways, um, in the sense of, um, by, by naming it, it actually clarifies it. Um, because sometimes you know, our, our feelings can be, uh, uh, emotions or thoughts can be quite, can be a, a, a bit sort of nebulous, and then they proliferate, 
so then they, they, there's not a clear edge, and then it just rolls on. So that by by actually naming it, oh, that's that's restlessness. Oh, that okay, restless mind. Okay, wanting mind. Uh, it gives it it gives it a bit more boundary and and clarity. So then when you 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 name it, then it's a sort of uh, then it gives a place of oh okay, I can I can let that go. I can relinquish. I see it a bit. It helps you to see it a bit more clearly. Uh, so that's that's when you, if you use it, uh, that's a skillful result. Um, it can go the other way where one can get obsessed with trying to name everything and trying to have a have a name, have a handle for everything. And uh, it can be we can complicate the mind and and uh, make it um, you know too um, too too sort of formal too you know too uh, yeah we're too a bit too obsessed with trying to get it right uh, so we're trying to if we get the right name then we'll be okay sort of thing which isn't how it works at all uh, so those those are are it can cut both ways. And so you have to have to be attentive to what the result is. And, you, and, and the idea of naming is that you can let it go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the function. That's the, that's the function. So that the, yeah, the, 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 say the hopeful result, uh, the hopeful result is being able to let it go, to be able to relinquish, or to be able to be at ease with it, and have a sense of equanimity. So that's, you know, whatever gets you there, that's, that is, uh, that's fine. And then, um, around uh, a confusion, um, one of the, th- one of the things that, that, uh, that I've always um, found helpful in dealing with confusion, doubt, kind of uncertainty in the mind, um, is uh, rather than trying to go to the mind and figure it out or relinquish it there, or to come to the body. Um, because uh, you can get a sense of uh, a continuity of clarity uh, with just the sensations of the body, the posture of the body, uh, the feeling within the body, whether the body is relaxed or whether it's tight or whether it's uh, uh, kind of agitated or however it feels, but you can you can get a bit bit more clarity with the with the body and then develop a, a continuity of awareness. Because it's the 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 say the momentum of awareness and attention that helps to break up the cloud of confusion. And, and so that coming back to the body, I've always found very helpful to get that, that, that continuity of awareness going. So confusion is, um, you, you mentioned the word doubt. Yeah. Um, but can you say what exactly is this confusion? Um, what does that word indicate? You have the three things. What does that one mean? Confusion... Um, 
attraction, attraction, or well, it's the sort aversion of the, and confusion, and then I'm not sure what what's yeah. referred to by confusion. But you're about to say, right? I'll get a name for it. You mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, one of the one of the aspects of confusion is just sort of the the lack of clarity, uncertainty, mm-hmm. and uh, not knowing. And, and that's the, the, the function of, from, from the, the Buddhist perspective, that's the function of uh, moha or delusion. Um, and the three roots of, of defilement, greed, hatred, delusion. The delusion is moha, which clouds things. And when things are clouded, then there's you know, either doubt, uncertainty, confusion, restlessness. So it, it manifests in different ways. But the, the, its, its root is this said, delusion, not knowing, not knowing something's true nature, not seeing it clearly. And when it's not seen clearly, then it's, you know, will, it'll move the mind in either agitation, confusion, and uncertainty. Yeah. Um, I kind of perked up when you mentioned the word the words doing it right or whatever. I notice yeah. I have a little internal voice that seems to um, be judging whether I'm, it's like concerned as to whether I'm doing it right, yeah. you know, because if I'm yeah. not doing it right, I'm not going to get where I want to go or something, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and it, would that be delusion that you're speaking of? or? Uh, well, particularly if you're creating suffering around it. Yeah, which is usually what happens, well, that, 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 real, that, that sort of excessive concern for, for doing it right, uh, the fear of doing it wrong. It doesn't feel like yeah. I'm creating it, it just feels like it's running. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just kind of <laughs> well, that's again it's sort of the, where you, you see habitual tendencies. And that's exactly why we say we slow down and, and, and uh, pay attention to something as uncomplicated as our breath. Uh, so then you start to be able to see the patterns that the the mind takes as its default option. <laughs> so it's learning. It's an opportunity for learning. <laughs> okay. There's a couple more questions back there. Thank you. Um, well, I recently was trying to uh, engage in practice that I think I didn't do right at all. <laughs> so sorry, I'm a beginner, everybody. But so last year, there was someone in my life who did something that I thought was horrible, and I was very angry. Mm-hmm. So for Lent, being a Catholic, decided to practice meta mm-hmm. <laughs> every day for six weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, so prayed for her every day, and was, you know, imagining her and thinking compassionate thoughts. And by the end of Lent, which is Easter, I was I was even more angry. Yeah. So I obviously didn't get it right. So I was wondering if you could speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that's uh, when the Buddha gives us our, our uh, sort of guidelines for, you know, it is how, how does it accord, like, uh, how does it, uh, does it accord with Dhamma or does it not accord with Dhamma? Uh, what the ways of, of deciding that is, does it, 
increase suffering or decrease suffering, or sort of, um, you know, sort of. So okay, if it's if it's not working, sort of, suffering is increasing, happiness is decreasing. Um, if it's uh, peacefulness decreases, um, then okay, this is isn't quite working. But if peacefulness, tranquility is increasing, okay, that's, yeah, you see that, yeah, that's according with Dhamma. Um, because it's the nature of the, the say, the Buddhist teachings to uh, incline us in, in that direction. Uh, and then, uh, is, the, is it, uh, say, the, the, say, a causal factor for uh, wholesome mental states uh, to increase or to decrease. So the, the sense of the content of the mind, is there more greed, hatred, and delusion, or is there less? Um, so that those are, are kind of you know, rules of thumb that one can, can be investigating. And then sort of saying, okay, now if, that's, if it's not working, now, now what do I do? <laughs> I've done it by the books. I, do, I mean, <laughs> that's the, the man, you know, Metta is high on the list of what the Buddha says we're supposed to do. Um, so then you start investing, okay, how, how, how am I holding it? How am I, how am I, what expectation do I have? Um, and so that we start investigating that, that sense of, oh yeah, the, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that if I, you know, it's just sort of, uh, yeah, sort of, you know, throw, throw the metta bomb and it'll all, it'll all go away. Uh, well, you re- oh, well, actually there's more behind it than that and I have to, to, uh, to see that more clearly. Uh, and then, uh, the, 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 so looking at expectation. Uh, so, you know, what, am, what, what, was, what was I expecting? What was I assuming? Um, so then, then see, re- reflecting on that more clearly. Um, because even if, if uh, uh, say, something can be, say, um, I mean, it's hard to imagine how uh, directing loving-kindness could be wrong in any situation. But then it's sort of, you know, as in it's how we, how we hold it, uh, uh, and then how, you know, say, how deeply say how deeply offended we are <laughs> and and that uh, you know so well, okay it's uh, I'm not really willing to relinquish that yet I'm not really ready to, to let it go um, so then being able to to, to come back and, and and look at that more clearly okay uh, why am I not ready to 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 relinquish that uh, what is and of course it's it comes back to that that sense of sense of self, the sense of me, uh, and what, 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 am, what am I holding? What was, what was, you know, what was so deeply offended? And being able to, to investigate that. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes it, it's just by holding it, throwing it up in the air as a, all the possibilities are, are there, and then sometimes you, you sort of say, oh, well, there some, some new perspective 
uh, comes up or an idea of, oh, I could deal with it like this. And so that one gets a, a kind of a, a bit of an insight of, oh, okay, I, I, can, I, I can come around it this way. Uh, there's a, uh, a teacher, uh, another one of Ajahn Chah's teachers, and uh, he, uh, he had a, a very simple uh, kind of way of, of uh, uh, encouragement in practice. He said, yeah, he said if the, uh, the kilesas, the defilements come at you high, then you duck. <laughs> and if they come at you low, then you jump over them. <laughs> You know, so it's like, okay, you just got to find a way around them. <laughs> Somebody back there. Thank you. I'm curious about your pre-monastic life and specifically what led you to the monastic life. Mm-hmm. Um. I grew up in Canada, uh, northern Canada. Um, they, I grew up in the province of Manitoba, and uh, it's about 600 miles north of the American border. Uh, there wasn't much Buddhism happening, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was really looking for something. And um, when I went to university, then I came across books on Buddhism, and that uh, that really stimulated, that really caught me. The hook was in then, uh, but I didn't have any uh, any way of, of practicing. There was no meditation groups. I never ever heard of anybody teaching meditation, teaching Buddhism. Uh, uh, so that uh, after I finished my bachelor's degree, then I just decided to travel, and my idea was to go to, ta- go to uh, Japan, um, uh, but uh, I, mean, I, I traveled all through Europe and Middle East, uh, India, before I got to Thailand. I didn't even know Thailand was a Buddhist country, and uh, so that I, uh, I got there and said, wow, there's Buddhism everywhere. Uh, so I, I found a place where I could learn meditation. And stayed in a, uh, a couple different um, meditation centers, and then uh, uh, the last place I was at, uh, they uh, there were some monks who, uh, you know, said, "Well, why don't you ordain?" And, and sort of, oh, I couldn't do that. And you know, the the idea, because in my mind it was like you'd have to make a commitment for the rest of your life, and, and uh, I certainly wasn't ready to do that. Places to go, things to do. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and they said, no, it's, you know, in, in Thailand it's ordinary to take a temporary ordination. So that, I said, oh, yeah, three, four months, I could do that. Uh, so that was my, that was sort of my, the extent of my aspiration was to sort of learn a bit more about Buddhism, be a monk for three or four months, and then continue traveling. Uh, but yeah, the hook was in, so here I am 37 years later. <laughs> and then, uh, it was 
shortly after I ordained that I, uh, uh, I kept hearing about Ajahn Chah and, uh, and forest monasteries, because where, where I ordained was uh, on the outskirts of Bangkok. And uh, so that was just really appealing to me. And uh, my preceptor encouraged me to go and pay respects to Ajahn Chah. Uh, so I, I was still fairly newly ordained, and uh, I went up to the northeast of Thailand, where Ajahn Chah lived, and went to his monastery and uh, paid respects to him. And I was really taken by uh, the lifestyle, the, the kind of the, the training that went on there, the, uh, the monks, the nuns, the lay people. It was, just seemed such a, a level of, of, of uh, uh, integrity. So I was really... Uh, taken by that. Uh, but I also didn't stay. You know, it was the first, uh, it was actually the, you know, arrived and I went into the monastery, found out where Ajahn Chah was. I went and paid res- my respects, paid, did my three bows, sort of finished my three bows, came up and Ajahn Chah just sort of looked at me and said, you want to stay here, you have to stay at least five years. <laughs> uh, so that uh, <laughs> that was that really oh, I can't do that. But uh, after being there for some weeks, then I, I went off and went somewhere else and and continued practicing. Uh, but all during that time, I just kept thinking of Ajahn Chah. Uh, there's, he'd, uh, there's something this was really compelling. And uh, so after sort of going back and forth in my mind and then extending my stay, and there's like, ah, five years is five years, go give yourself to Ajahn Chah. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then, of course, I've, I haven't gone anywhere since, really. When you were telling the story about Cloverdale, I realized that if I saw you and the monks walking down the street of Fairfax, I'm not sure if I would know what to do. Mm. Is there a certain etic? I mean, how would I know that you weren't just meditating? How mm-hmm. should I approach you? One is uh, seeing if we've got a... One, you can approach a monk anytime. <laughs> <They're>, uh, <laughs> they are approachable. And, uh, but uh, the, uh, if it were... One is it if it's in the morning time, before noon, and if they're carrying a, an alms bowl, which I think they've taken them out and put them back in the van, but the, the, the bowls that we, we, we uh, received our food in and ate out of, uh, then uh, if we had a, if, they were, if you saw a monk carrying a bowl, and you say, he's looking for something. <laughs> then you could ask him to, uh, um, you know, could I, could I make an offering? If you had any food with you, you could put anything in the bowl. Or if you said, could you just wait? Um, and I could go and get something at the you know, little shop somewhere and, and put it in there. They'll definitely wait. <laughs> <laughs> but no money. But no money, yes. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, uh, 
uh, yeah, for for a monk, we're 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 not allowed to to accept money or to use money. So it makes our life simple. Uh, but again, it's sort of one of those things where uh, yeah, it's not convenient. Uh, but uh, it's that it's the inconvenience that allows you to investigate sort of expectation, desire, fear. You know, oh my God, am I going to get anything today? Uh, and that. Uh, uh, that kind of of uh, anxiety that that uh, is easily easily creeps in when your stomach's growling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to what extent is um, spreading the teachings part of the Tudong tradition? Yeah, actually, that's a good question. Um, Spreading the teachings is a part of, of Tudong. Is, it's, a, it's an integral part, uh, uh, but it depends on the, the temperament or personality of the, of the, of the, the person. And, uh, but certainly it's an occasion. Because you're out there, then it's occasion when people, you're accessible. And you can, people can ask questions. People can uh, approach you. And, 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 and they do, and they'll ask questions about, uh, so that uh, it is a, uh, and then even, even if you don't f- feel you can give, expound the Dharma sort of thing, but just being example is already a, an expression of the teachings. Um, Ajahn Chah used to uh, give an example. Uh, in the uh, in the discourses, um, Venerable Sariputta, before he met the Buddha and and became the chief disciple of the Buddha, uh, his inroad was in seeing a uh, one of the. It was actually one of the first disciples of the Buddha, seeing him walking alms round in the in the. Uh, in a, in, a, in a town, in a village. And just that sense of composure and uh, seeing the, uh, somebody who was a, a religious seeker, a peaceful person, uh, just stimulated that, that desire in Sariputta and wanted to seek him out and ask uh, for uh, guidance, ask for, for uh, ask to, uh, what, what is the teaching that you follow? And, uh, and that, was, that was how Sariputta uh, uh, ended up becoming a disciple of the Buddha. So it's just seeing, seeing an ex- a good example. Uh, so that the, uh, in Thailand, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, part of the, you know, when they're, they're walking for, um, people will gravitate towards sort of wandering uh, uh, Tudong monks to to receive teachings because they think that that's somebody who's practicing and who's who's meditating. Uh, it, the opposite happens as well, in the sense of um, when I f- very first um, left the monastery to go to Dong. I just sort of walked out of the monastery and took a right turn and just started walking. And, uh, and then got to the, uh, uh, 
going toward the end of the day, look for a, a nearby village, a little forest nearby, uh, find a place to uh, uh, put up my mosquito net and get settled and not very long, uh, lay people start showing up and what they want is lottery numbers. <laughs> he's a meditator, he's a, he's a Tudong monk, he must know lottery numbers. <laughs> so I was just, just being pestered till 11 o'clock at night for lottery numbers. <laughs> so, I mean, that happens as well. So it, uh, Why did they think that? No, it's just a belief. (laughs) Uh, Okay, somebody, you had a question? Thank you for being here first. Um, My question is about time. You Mm -hmm. spoke earlier about there never being enough time and... Mm -hmm. um, I was just traveling in Thailand and India for about six weeks, and I found that time really shifted mm. for me. Yeah. Um, and then coming back and having been home about uh, two months now, mm. uh, in, with even with a daily meditation practice, time mm. speeds up. Yeah. 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 And um, so I'm just curious how life is at the monastery versus the Tudong and what you have to say to lay people about mm-hmm. that speeding up of time. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not as human beings. We, you know, we, it, it pushes us, and um, and even if you're on too long, you can still sort of, you can still do it to yourself. <laughs> um, and in the monastery, you can do it. We can do the same thing, uh, but you know, there are you know, these kind of conscious reminders and. Uh, um, so just really trying to bring that to mind as as a in the as as a lay practitioner, I think it's really important to you know set set certain times aside that are really kind of sacrosanct uh, that uh, and, and doable. Because I think if you set set the bar too high, then you end up sort of frustrating yourself or giving up. And you, but just really setting setting time aside where you really give give yourself that time and open say you don't even have to be necessarily be meditating formally but just sitting and taking time to not be doing anything also just paying attention to the compulsions of um, say like when you come back into uh, like coming home coming to your home or your apartment or whatever and, and recognize it. what's the habit what's the first thing you do when you when you when you get there and you know and oftentimes it's you know go to the fridge turn on the computer <laughs> you know and and then to, to really consciously go against that and just sort of say no when i come home i'm i'm going to do this and, you know you know set set something up that Starts to break the routine of of because you know one gets home oh I need to do this or I should do that and uh, and just uh, putting putting those little blocks and they don't have to be uh, extreme 
but they're just they're reminders so where it does give you a, an opportunity to, to to slow down a bit and not be pulled into that that, that habit pattern and uh, so those are those are just a couple simple things to to, to pay attention to uh, I mean it's helpful to have a, a a space that you go go to where you yeah where you, like having a shrine is, is really helpful um, and you don't have to be, you know, really uh, you know, a devotional type to, to just to have a shrine. But it's sort of like, this is a physical reminder of, of, and that's where you see, setting something up, that's where you, you meditate, that's where you stop, that's where you slow down. And that's your, that's a, that's a space where you come into and you do that on a, on a daily basis. And that, because yeah, you, again, Habits and conditioning. It's not just bad habits and conditioning that we have. We can be doing really good ones. We can be really developing really skillful habits that, that, that really put us in good stead. Okay. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to say something really wonderful. But... <laughs> Thank you. Um, all the thoughts that I've had have, have been, my questions have been answered or asked by someone else. So. Mm. But you have a wonderful sense and a gift of giving and consciousness, consciousness I, I feel, um, to those of us around that are here and enjoying the experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was going to ask, how did you come about this? And I was going to ask, you know, all of these two questions that have happened <laughs> in the last few minutes. So um, I will just consciously say thank you so much, all of you, for coming and spending some time with us mm -hmm. and um, opening us up to um, what is going on in, in the Tudonment um, respect. And also, if one wanted to come and visit the monastery, um, is that possible? What is what is the proper way? And, you know... Okay. Um, monasteries in Thai Theravada tradition are open places. Um, people can, can come at any time. And... Uh, um, so that uh, the monastery is, is, is available for free people to come and to uh, tap in, to join in. Uh, there's the formal meal offering at around 11 o'clock in the morning. We have tea time and later in the afternoon. Um, every Saturday night there's a Dhamma talk. Uh, every lunar uh, quarter um, there's a... Uh, um, meditation, chanting, dhamma talk, vigil in the night, in and uh, so people can tap in at any time of that. If people, if anybody wants to come and stay uh, and to stay in the monastery <coughs> for a, a shorter or longer visit, then uh, to contact ahead of time is is helpful and. Uh, just email is probably the easiest. Uh, Guestmonk at abayagiri.org. And, uh, and then set up a time uh, that, uh, that works. Uh, we've got accommodations for men and women. And uh, uh, it's not, uh, say, like a retreat per se. 
but it's uh, an opportunity for people to participate in the lifestyle. Uh, so that just joining in the daily routine, um, you know, morning, morning chanting, five in the morning, morning meditation, um, helping with the chores, sharing the, the meals that we have, having time in the afternoon for, for personal time, and joining in the group routine of the evening, evening sittings, yeah. so morning, evening sittings. So those, that's, that's uh, something that is, is available to, to people. I think we might, we should be doing some meditation. (laughs) We've been sitting here for almost an hour and a half, so. Um, Might be good to uh, have a period of walking meditation. And uh, again, to uh, take the opportunity to find a uh, a, a quiet space that's nice and flat, um, you know, 10 paces, 20 paces, it depends on if you walk slower uh, and doesn't have to be so long, if you walk a bit, walk a bit faster, a bit longer is good. Uh, at the monastery, uh, every dwelling place in the monast- at, at Abhayagiri and most forest monasteries will have a, a, a walking meditation path at there at the dwelling place. And so it's a sort of a, a, a natural rhythm of, of, of life. And it's a walking meditation, sitting meditation. Uh, and uh, so taking that, that opportunity to uh, uh, walking, paying attention to the, again, connecting with the, the body, the physical rhythm of the walking, lifting, the foot, moving it, setting it down, connecting with that contact, this touch. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a concrete anchor for awareness and attention, just that sense of touch uh, as we're touching the ground. It's also helpful. I always found walking meditation really helpful because it, by paying attention to the sensation of the te- feet touching the ground, I'm about as far away from my head as possible. <laughs> That's just a real, it's a real relief. <laughs> it's getting it in and developing that continuity of awareness and attention. You know, inevitably there's thoughts come up in the mind. And just to recognize and note them again. You don't need to get in there and fight with them. You don't get in the cage with the tiger, but you sort of that's okay. There's a there's another thought. There's that 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 pattern of, of of thinking and going again. Okay, back to the feet. Just noting it, recognizing it, uh, but not getting not getting caught, not getting hooked. Okay, so we can have a half hour period of walking. <laughs>